The Contenders is a proud member of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For other great shows about movies and pop culture, go visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. You know, my friend Eva was just telling me that there is not one guy at this party that she's attracted what? to. It's okay, there's no one here I'm attracted to either. <laughs> All right, great. Actually, I weave. Like baskets? Yeah, I do it in the garage. Really? No. Do you like fake boobs? No. No, I like real boobs. Hmm. Yeah, I got real boobs. That's working out for us then. <laughs> Welcome to The Contenders, the show about the movies made by and starring women who refuse to play by the rules. I'm Aislinn Addington. And I'm Tobin Addington. And here we are. Here we are. Aislinn, what, uh, what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about the 2013 film Enough Said. Oh, good. That's what I watched. Me. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I was like, what's your history I, with Enough Said? Do you remember the first oh time that you saw goodness. it? I do, because I was in New York with you, my friend. We saw it in what I would consider like an academic building, but it had a theater kind of in it. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't like a commercial. Right. Commercial theater. Right. Where yeah. were we? We were basically in the hallway where I had grad school. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> they would bring in a movie that was coming out or about to come out every every Friday, basically, and screen it for us and usually have someone someone come and talk to us. And one of the producers of this movie was an adjunct where I was in grad school. And so I'm sure it's through him that we got to see it. Well, it's wonderful. Well, I I will say that um, there is a long history of movies that you have taken me to uh where i knew very little about it and certainly this is one so let me just set the stage set the scene a little bit i have never watched a full episode of seinfeld i have made out during a few episodes of seinfeld so i've like listened to it who among Um, us hasn't (laughs) amen um i have not seen a frame of the sopranos Wow. I have read books about that era in television and male antiheroes and various things. So I, you know, I can tell you some stuff about it, but I have not seen it. So, and at the time I was a young person. So to take me to a movie about middle age starring two people whose most famous work I have not seen. Yes. I wasn't expecting a lot. And... I fell in love that day. <laughs> I, I, and, and subsequently, I have absolutely consumed so much Julia Louis-Dreyfus material. Again, not Seinfeld, mm-hmm. but um, certainly Veep. Um, I also, when I was in graduate school, the New Adventures of Old Christine mm. was playing on one of those weird channels that's like sometimes educational, sometimes religious, sometimes like public access kind of thing. Um, And it was when my dog was in a play. I wasn't, but my dog was. (laughs) And so 
we would be watching TV at a weird time at night and reruns of that would come on. And I loved it. Uh, So longest story ever short. I love this movie and it drew me to Julia. And for that, I thank you. Um, How about you? Well, as, and now I'm doing the math, and I must must not have been grad school because I was out of grad school by the time this movie came out. I remember I saw in twenty in two thousand and six the Nicole Hall of Center, the director. Um, we saw her movie, not Please Give. It's the one before that, Friends with Money, uh, with Jennifer Aniston. Saw that that that's one that came to to school. So I don't remember. I don't remember where I were as uh, the circumstances under which. However. Uh, Unlike you, I have seen a grand total of one Seinfeld episodes all the way through, and it's because it was part of a syllabus that was given to me for a class I had to teach. Um, and it was a good episode, I suppose, but the, I, that, the, the show just held zero interest for me. I mean, I've had Thanksgiving dinner more than once at Tom's Diner, the real one that they, you know, so I, I, I've, I've, I've lived in Seinfeld's neighborhood. That's true. You did live across the street from Tom's, didn't I you? I did. I did. But I've never, uh, but I've never really watched it. Uh, I've not seen any of the uh, new adventures of Elder Christine. So it wasn't until this movie and Veep, when Veep started the year before this movie, um, and that is where I discovered that Julie Louis Dreyfus is a national treasure. Trademark. Indeed. Trademark. Like officially. Trademark. Tobin Addington <laughs> was the first to say it. And said it to me, and I said okay, because that's how you pitched Veep to me. Um, <laughs> and was so. I right, or was I right? You're, you were absolutely right, of course, of so course. I have a lot to say about JLD, which will which we'll get to as the show as the show goes on. But um, so I've seen enough said, oh, half a dozen times. I've taught it in classes we often read the first 15 pages or 10 pages of the script in my screenwriting class um, as an example of um, gentle realism uh, and, and, and comedy that isn't um, cause we also often read the opening of bridesmaids and they're, they're just, they're very, I love them both, but they're very different obviously. Um, so anyway, I have, I have a bit of a history with this movie and it was, but I had not seen it um, all the way through in, I don't know, three or four years. So it was really fun to have the chance to go back and look at it again. Me too. I I hadn't seen it um, for a bit. And I feel like a failure in that I had not sort of put it together. It wasn't until I heard Julia talking on a podcast that she reminded me that it was written and directed by a woman. Mm. And so I'm sure I knew it was on our spreadsheet back when I read the spreadsheet, um, but I hadn't kind of put two and two together. And so I was just damn delighted to realize that we could indeed cover this film. And I, I hope that there are some listeners, well, I hope, I hope folks have seen it because I feel like the conversation is better if you've seen the movie, (laughs) but if you haven't, I hope the conversation inspires you to see the movie because it's, God, it's just, I mean, I don't think I, I think the word heartwarming has some cliche and connotation that I don't like. Sure. But I feel like the actual definition, like this fits the definition of the term yeah. heartwarming. 
Totally. Totally. And just good. Like just good. (laughs) And and through minute observation and, you know, uh, behavior and character instead of the easy, you know, um, go for the heartstrings uh, version. It's not sentimental at all, but it is heartwarming. Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good good word for it. Uh, do you have a little bit of history about this movie for us? Two tiny bits. The first is that, as we mentioned, Nicole Holof Center is the uh, writer-director of this movie. This is her fifth film. She's done some TV as well, uh, but this is her fifth, fifth film as a, as a writer-director. And um, the at the time, the, the heads of Fox Searchlight, which is the production company that produced and distributed the movie, they came to her after her previous movie, um, uh, People, other pe- uh, People with Money or Friends with Money, no, please give. After please give came out, they came to her and said, "We'll bankroll your next movie if you can make something like just a touch more commercial." <laughs> and so okay. this was this was her attempt. In six months, she wrote three drafts of this script to write something that was still her voice, but was maybe fit in the sort of genre mold of something a little bit more marketable. Um, and she's never had a problem getting stars into her movies. So that, that wasn't a problem, but that, that was the, it was the explicit goal was to make something that would be a little bit more accessible. Maybe. Um, the other uh, bit of film history is that even though the, even though she's a, she's a tremendous writer um, and the movie's carefully scripted, um, she did a let she did allow the actors to improvise if they felt like it was warranted. Um, and the the thing I read said the final scene um, between James Gandolfini and Julie Louis Dreyfus was improvised. I'm sure not the whole thing, but my guess is that last line. Um, not to jump to the end, but where he says, I bought some end tables. And she said, really? He says, no, (laughs) that feels like an improvised line uh, to me. Uh, So anyway, it was neat. I I can feel it in the movie, this sense of life. And I think part of that might come from the fact that that the actors weren't beholden to the sort of precise words in the script. Uh, Aislinn. Could you please uh, take us through the ladies in charge, women involved in major roles in Enough Said? And I'm going to point out ahead of time, there is quite a surname in the producers. I think it. I think it's Ospiazu. Yep. Ospiazu. That's a great name. Isn't that name. an awesome name? I know. I love it. I love it. Um, that's, that's great. And so, uh, Tobin, I know that you say women in major roles. I'm going to add a couple of extra because uh, um, there's a couple noteworthy folks that maybe didn't have major roles, but are noteworthy in my humble opinion. Excellent. So please do. I'll, I'll withhold the ding until I can tell you're done with the list. I'll give you a wink when I'm done. OK. OK. Writer, director, Nicole Hall of Center. Actors, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Tony Collette, Catherine Keener, Tracy Fairway, Eve Hewson, Michaela Watkins, Jessica St. Clair, and Tavi Gevinson. Producers, Stephanie Azpiazu and Chrisanne Vergas. Casting, by Jean McCarthy. Costume design, Leah Katznelson. Nicely Ooh. done. Yay. Thank you. Thank what a, you so what a, much. What a good list. Great list. Some some all-time faves in there for <laughs> sure. Um, 
So, Tobin, please give us a uh, brief plot rundown, a little summary of Enough Said. All right. Eva, a divorced L.A.-based massage therapist, played by national treasure Julia Louis-Dreyfus, agrees to a date with Albert, James Gandolfini, in low-key charm mode, and discovers they have much in common, including being single parents of daughters about to head to college. Meanwhile... Eva finds a new client in ritzy woo-woo poet Marianne, who turns out to be Albert's ex-wife. Eva makes some real choices in terms of disclosure or lack thereof and gets herself into some real trouble, screwing up her budding relationship with Albert. But it's okay, because at the end, they share an awkward but touching moment a few months later, and it looks like they might have a chance after all. That's so sweet. (laughs) It's a sweet movie. It's such a sweet movie. Um, two helicopters just went by. I don't sure. know if you caught that. Um, but I, I am um, at a cabin on Flathead Lake. Nowhere better to be. Humble um, brag. <laughs> thank you. My uh, official podcasting microphone is not with me. And so we are using some um, suboptimal audio. So I apologize for the ambient noise. But again, it is the ambient noise of paradise. So. <laughs> So we'll let it slide this time. We'll let it slide. Tobin, that was a great summary. I I love this movie. And and there are, so um, I want to talk about all the ways that I love it and all the ways that I feel like women are so um, represented in three-dimensional ways. Okay, yep. And... At least one place that I was disappointed in watching it now in 2021. I'll be so interested to see if it's the same kind of because there were two or three places that I was like, "Ooh, mm, not today, maybe." And one of those is really common to Nicole Hall of Center's work in general. So I'll be interested to see Curious. where that lands for you. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the? Uh, should we start with some love and then go into the other stuff and then go back to some love? Should we sandwich Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and I think we should start with National Treasure, oh. Julia Louis Dreyfus, and the character of Eva. Why wait? Why? I wait? don't want to wait. Wait. At what point in the movie did you fall in love? Um, as soon as I saw that. Um, okay. Because I've seen I, I've seen her in Veep and I've seen her in real life and I think of her as a very tailored human. Uh-huh. The way in which she embodied this character and the what I feel was the intentionality of the clothing and accessories and the way that she matched that it, it did not feel like she was wearing a costume. It it felt to me like it all all the parts added up. Mm -hmm, into mm -hmm. this human to whom comfort is a, is a big value. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. know, she is, so she's, she's a masseuse. So there's some health and wellness and comfort in that she's working on this blanket throughout the piece. And so there's that comfort. There's a lot of cuddling and coziness and, um, and so it's, it was her character, but it was also like her aura, if mm, you will. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I just think she embodied it in such a way. Also, and then I'll let you talk. Um, okay. This woman, it, it, so it's tough because I think, you know, we both grew up watching a lot of um, local and sometimes children's, but not always theater. 
Absolutely. And, and, and there's a lot of like what we call pulling faces <laughs> there. And so I don't know how to describe it to say that she tells so many stories with every part of her face and someone else trying to do it would probably irritate me. But it's so sincere. It feels so from an internal place that is a a physical manifestation of something internal Mm. that I, I don't know if she has a masterclass, but I, that's, I would love to hear her talk about that because I, she's so amazing in this. I think of course in Veep, I mean, there are amazing faces in Veep as well. I'm sure it's true in Seinfeld, but, um, but you could watch, I, I feel strongly that if you just, if you were in a close up of her face yeah. through the whole film, you would, you would know exactly what was going on. <laughs> yes. Regardless of if she had dialogue or not. So th- those are the places I wanted to start. Totally. I, I've always thought of it as, um, I, I love the way that you, that you uh, said that. I think that I thought of it as that she has such con- com- command of her instrument. Yes. She knows exactly which and, and and to the down to the like, you know, I mean, you played sax like you put your you push hard on the key versus soft on the key. I mean, the little minute differences that end up conveying a lot if you understand how to use them. Um, and totally. she, I feel like, uh, you know, between this and Veep, the places where I've seen her the most where she has a featured part, right? Like she's the central you know, character and the, 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 the projects are kind of built around her. She, there's an elasticity to her expressiveness and a precision, the micro expressions. She'll go through an entire, I mean, on Veep where something terrible had happened. And then she'd like go from confusion to mortification, to anger, to bottled rage, to, you know, for a forced smile in the span of like a second and a half. And, and hit all of those beats. Um, and so it's like a singer who can, who can do a whole run, you know, and hit yes, all the notes on the way up and down. Christina Aguilera run. <laughs> yes, yes. She was the Christina Aguilera of, uh, of, uh, uh actors. Yeah. 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 Um, no, it's, that's a great way. The control of the instrument. That's a great way to put that. And to see her in this movie where the demands of the piece she's playing are small, um, you know, and even though there's like farcical stuff, like she befriends accidentally the ex-wife of her new love interest, like these things that in a, if you just read the log line, you'd be like, okay, like, as you say, it could be very, you know, sentiment, sentimentally heartwarming. The fact that she's able to then like dial all of this stuff down in this very naturalistic way is remarkable to me like to play the big stuff in veep and the and the little stuff in this with equal precision is like it's amazing she's a national treasure she's a national treasure and i think with this character too and especially on this watch you know you alluded to it in the in the summary she makes some choices what to say what not to say i i felt like i could see her be torn yeah yeah. So, I mean, she, cause she, you know, so she plays, she is, she finds that she has so much in common with Albert and there are things that she's endeared by and attracted to that are surprising to her. Right. So, she, so she's sort of kind of processing that while at the same time hearing about what a terrible slob and schlub of a guy he is. And I just feel like you can see her torn where there are moments where she wants to 
say to Catherine, like argue with Catherine Keener, yeah. then she can't. There are times when she wants to say something to him. There are times I just feel like I can see, I can see that complexity back and forth and that I can like be upset with her choices or I can see how, how she's making what I might consider the wrong choices. Yeah. And yet I am still, I still root for her and I'm still endeared by her. Is that the way to phrase that? Yeah. Yeah. Endeared to her. Um, and then there is this whole other piece about her relationship with her daughter running through the whole thing. And yeah, the layers uh, that she plays with it. And um, yeah, I, I have something else to say about her performance in this, but I don't want to over talk. No, do it. Say, say. So um, the reason that I, one of the reasons I wanted to include uh, Jessica St. Clair, and she plays the um, Brentwood mom that never stops talking during mm-hmm. the interview or during the massage, excuse mm-hmm. me. And it's just like vapid, what have you. Um, uh, she has a Jessica, and her friend, June Day and Rayfield, have a new podcast that I'm in love with. And Julia was a guest recently because um, they worked together in this movie. And so then Julia got her on Veep. And so she plays Gary's girlfriend, the one, the oh, Parmesan cheese lady. Yeah, totally. Okay. Um, and they have a lot in common, right? They, they both went through breast cancer, various things. But, but the story that they told on the podcast was that it was on the set of this movie that Julia convinced Jessica to get pregnant. She was married. Wow. Um, she was trying to figure out, Oh, but my career, this and that. And Julia was like, do it, do it now. It's the best thing. Mm. And they go on to talk in the podcast more about how to like, uh, she has tips on how to keep your kids coming back home. She's so in love with parenting and uh, with her children. Uh huh. Which sometimes turns me off. I'm not going to lie. Sure. As a childless sure. and child-free person, famously on this podcast, sure. Some of that is tough for me. Not in the way Julia does it. Huh. I huh. I believe her, and I'm so happy for her when she says it's the best thing. Yeah. So knowing that now, to see her play this role, yeah. it, it's sort of even more authentic. Oh. And and she's a mom of boys, um, which is another thing they talk about on the on the podcast, but you know, that her daughter walks by and she pulls the cover up so that her daughter gets in bed with her. And then she starts interrogating her about (laughs) mundane things. Yes, Like that's so beautiful. And so I think indicative of close parent child relationships in my experience, close mother daughter relationships. Mm -hmm. I can't speak to others Mm -hmm. based on my identities. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, I feel like she tapped into something so authentic and and personal and yet made it relatable mm-hmm. even to someone like me to whom that experience you know on the parental side is completely foreign um mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i i loved getting that additional background that kind of i feel like further fueled this watching of it for me um and i just love her as a person amen well said well said <laughs> Yeah, all the interviews and things that you that you I remember during Veep, you know, given that schedule was so rough um, and they shot, you know, so like long hours. They had to shoot it quick. They had tons of the words to and memorize. In Maryland the yeah, first few years. Exactly. And and her, um, you know, ma- uh, uh, balancing her life as a 
as a partner, as a parent, uh, with her life as an actor, and that that was not always, uh, not that it wasn't, it was just, those were priorities for her, and she found ways to sort of make that all work, as well as, um, you know, um, mothering the rest of the cast of that show. Um, so, uh, man, it'd be fun to to know her, wouldn't it? <laughs> Let's get her on our show. That would be Absolutely. Awesome. She, I think she is a friend you want to have. Um, and so if, if you're interested in kind of that, the human side of things, um, I encourage you to, uh, look up the deep dive and it was, uh, I believe last week's episode. Um, and they talk about all that stuff. They talk a lot about their cancer journeys that were, um, not parallel, like subsequent, uh-huh, I don't know, uh-huh. not at the same time, but, and how that changed them, how, helping someone else through the process with so much of the healing for each of them. Interesting. And then a great little bit on what not to say and what not to give someone who is sick. Wow. And Julia has a list. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm not, not surprised. So enough yeah. about another podcast. Um, do you want to go to other the kind of other women in her world? Yeah. Let's talk about Tony Collette. Before we go to the boys. Let's talk about Tony Collette. Another favorite of yours, eh? I do like Tony Collette. I have a I I I, I um I, so I full disclosure, I worked on a movie that she was on. Um and so Oh yeah. She knew my name for a half a second. <laughs> um, oh, but with that accent? With that accent, yeah. Um and um she was um and I think this is probably no surprise to people who spend any time thinking about her. She was an actor. Um, sure. uh, okay. She was uh, not, not methody, but like, you know, she's play, playing an intense part and like was, was staying pretty, you know, pretty close to the, <laughs> to, to the character. Um, uh, but a magnetic personality, the kind of person that walks in the room and you're like, wow, you were somebody, even if you, you didn't know, you know, exactly what or who she was. Um, it's fun to see her. I always like to see her do comedy because I feel like she's very funny and I like her laugh. She has a fun laugh. Um, and I feel like, uh, it's, um, uh, and fun to see her play with her, uh, use her, her accent. Um, uh, and not be putting on I was another, so another glad accent. That, I had forgotten how that went. And certainly, I mean, you know, my feelings, I text you every time I watch a Ewan McGregor movie when he puts <laughs> on an accent, cause I'm so disappointed. Um, yes, yes. But, uh, but yes, I, I agree wholeheartedly with the accent yeah. of it all. Um, and it's, it's such an interesting sort of parallel these two characters and how they interact with each other and the, and the world um and their their sort of friendship feels very lived in in a lot of ways um so yeah what, what did you think about tony collette in this uh, movie i agree certainly about the um accent and the humor although <sighs> i uh, i found her really sad in this i you know, the, the elements of their friendship I loved. Um, and I just thought it was so funny in 2021 to watch them converse over Skype or what have you converse over, over, um, screen to screen in a remote virtual way, which in 2013 would have been novel in some ways and kind of out of the ordinary. Why weren't they just on the phone? Um, 
but now, I mean, it was just such a strange kind of moment of like, oh, people doing this in the before time, um, <laughs> yes. which is not really it's an observation, if if anything. Um, she was gorgeous, if I may say. Um, so I found it distracting how gorgeous she was in this okay. movie. Yep. Um, and and I just I just found her so sad. I um, anytime she was in the room with her husband, who I forgot was played by Ben Falcone, and I'm sure in 2013, I didn't know that name. I'm sure I'm no. you know at the time, and I'm sorry for that. Um, I do. I think he was great. I think he was understated for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, clearly she is unhappy. Clearly she is searching this thing of her rearranged constantly rearranging her furniture mm-hmm. um which i get that idea i mean i'm too lazy to do that but i get the idea of that of like i want a different outcome so i'm going to i want my life to look different i want my life to feel different right and so i'm going to make these external changes right right where what likely needs to happen is some internal changes or internal shifts right um and that she is some sort of therapist or counselor the irony Which then I that. also thought was funny. Yes, yeah, the irony. Yeah. Um, I loved their friendship. I loved the please just do this for me and then it's done. Um, yep. Because I, I have those friends and I hope I am one of those friends. Um, and then that does get us into the part that was I just did not work for me. Mm-hmm. And that was the storyline with the housekeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, when, I mean, oh, <sighs> this is a movie about affluent people and yep. and class even if they're not affluent i mean there's there's judgments about albert and how he lives his life and there's a lot of um i don't know on the one hand it critiques materialism a bit especially around um albert's daughter tess and and her mother um and so the movie you know kind of judges that way but the movie seems to co-sign this ongoing passive aggressive relationship between the housekeeper and Tony Collette and the, and then the Ben Falcone character and his like everything has to be fair kind of which is really his only character value that we're given mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but i so i'm i'm fine with the difficulty in in letting an employee go i think that's something people have to deal with i didn't need the ongoing she puts things in the wrong place i feel like that made it into um a question of of intelligence or a question of understanding that wasn't necessary i i I was glad when that said housekeeper um uh gets into an argument like an altercation with tony collette at this terrible dinner party yeah um, and just truly em- embarrasses her as what I felt, right? Mm-hmm. I, if, if I were that person, I would be embarrassed by the whole situation. And then when we're in our kind of flash forward a few months later, she's there on Thanksgiving. And it just, I don't know, it's, you know, to be the only person of color in in view and for that to be a very stereotypical role for one of color and... Uh, I don't know. It just didn't, it didn't feel like it added anything for me. And I mm-hmm. think there was enough with Tony Collette and Ben Falcone, even if they talked about the housekeeper issue, but, but didn't 
show it to us in that way. Not that I want to take the part away. Um, but I just, I didn't think it was necessary and it did not, it did not sit well. And it took it from an A plus to an A for me Mm -hmm. pretty easily. How about, how about you? Is that one of the, is that one of the things you thought I would say? Yeah. Well, and and it, it, yes. And and I fully agree. It, it, it didn't even feel right in 2013 or I shouldn't say that I should say that it, it, it even bumped for me in 2013. <laughs> um, uh, sure. and, and I think that, and part of it is that the, one of the criticisms in general of Nicole Hall of Center's movies is that they, um, on the one hand, they're very attuned to the small intricacies of socioeconomic status and, and class. But on the other hand, they're always in a upper 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 middle class white milieu mm-hmm. right it's 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 which ch- is yeah which, which is dominant culture right which is where a lot of if you look around at tv and film that's a lot of of where things were and where things are and it's not okay you, you know the the movie that they brought to uh show us at um when I was in grad school, this uh, friends with money. Um, I mean, this you know Francis McDormand, Catherine Keener, um, Joan Cusack movie, but it's about what oh, that's you do. A powerhouse trio. What you do when your friends have money? You have money. Your friends have money. You know what I mean? Like it's we're slicing yeah. the upper crust pretty pretty thinly. It's beautifully finely observed. It's it's oh Jennifer Aniston uh, is in it too, um, uh, and very kind of. But you're but if uh, p- part of me often feels a little bit like, ooh, <laughs> you know it's and, and part of it too. I think it's the world she's most familiar with. She's she writes movies based in her own not direct experience of events but you know if this movie comes from she had a you know a, her daughters were growing up they weren't this you know old yet but she had you know an ex-husband and a new boyfriend and what would happen if and you know but it's but but sure. so she she's writing you know from a very personal place which is why they feel like such personal films and i think that's wonderful um but i think there are some blind spots um there and i think that shows up in the point of view that the movie has vis-a-vis the housekeeper and that whole situation. Um, and maybe it's, we're locked into these characters point of view. So that's where it's going to stay. But part of it feels like given that you're the mother daughter relationship between Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character and her daughter feels so specific and rich and multi-dimensional. You could have done that with the other secondary characters and the other stories too, I think. So Absolutely. yeah, that's a good point. Not not great. Not great. Not great. It was uncomfortable to watch. Um, which, and I will say that that was a, a larger takeaway. And it, I don't mean it as a critique of the film. I think just, I don't know, me being, seeing it at a different time and place. Mm-hmm. The awkward moments were so awkward. It, that whole dinner scene where she is picking on him. Yeah. And... And all of her friends are trying to point that out in a, you know, subtle but direct way. And yep. she's just, and I get it. Like I could feel, I could feel myself in that kind of double down mode of like, I'm not going to say, oh my gosh, I'm so, and I hope that now I would, but in a previous era, I wouldn't say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I would just 
be quiet for a minute and then keep going kind of thing. I mean, I, I can think of times where I've been playing games and my competitiveness comes out and it's like, you don't want to admit that you're in the wrong right. and you got carried away. And she <laughs> right. certainly in this part can't admit why she is picking at these spe- very specific things. Yep. Um, but it was just so, it was so painful to watch. And I, I think part of that is that how kind and sincere James Gandolfini in the Albert character is. Yeah. Like I had as much as I, you know, we've talked so much about how I love Julia. I think as a character, I, I love Albert so much. He's, he is flawed, but he's putting himself out there and Mm -hmm. he's honest and kind and, and, you know, doing his best. And, um, yeah. So that, so I think that made it all the more awkward and difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And he has, that. there's a dignity, um, that his character has in, um, in that sense of understanding his weaknesses and his foibles and his, I mean, the fact that at the end he says, I got end tables, knowing that that's a thing that they had, you know, that had been a, a, a marker of, things um and that and that but he didn't really (laughs) because it's just gonna be him you know and like if the fact that she hears that and laughs with it and is this there's some little gesture there toward i know you want me to change i'm not gonna change this is who i am so can we laugh about it or is this not gonna work out right well, and that's what's in, I haven't read all of it, but that's what's in some of these like relationship marriage books is about the communication back and forth so that the 50th time you're looking for the towels and your partner put them in the closet, not in right. the bathroom, instead right. of getting angry and yelling at them, you can both laugh about it of like, of course they are. That's where you put them. Um, <laughs> right. And there's something so aspirational about that, I think. I, I, I would also just, the um, in addition to the lines in that moment, the way that Julia's character then looks up at him. Yes, yes. Of like, okay, we could do this again. Like he's, he was throwing me a line there and I'm, I'm going to catch it. And I'm, I can't <laughs> wait to see what the next one is. Like right, that, yes, yes, yes. she's like relaxed and anticipating in that moment in a way that was just beautiful. We like this movie. We like this movie. We love our, we love our Albert. (sighs) Uh, What about Catherine Um, Keener? We're talking about Catherine Keener. Oh, sorry. Did you have something? No, that was, that was it. I, um, I think the other thing that stuck out to me. So Catherine Keener is, a wildly talented actor as well. Stipulated. Um, You know, every, I, yeah, period. She does such a great job of, to me, being a difficult and uninteresting mean woman <laughs> yes and there's like so the, the the other part and i'm not saying it didn't work for me because i get it and I, I i feel like i get eva's struggle and in this watching of it yeah. i did not 
I did not like that character at all, which is, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean it shouldn't be there. I'm just, that was, I didn't really understand why Eva agreed to be her friend mm-hmm. other than to get the information. And I, and I get that that's it, but like beyond that, mm-hmm. all the other things I know about Eva would make me think she would find this woman insufferable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And perhaps there's that is this combination of the aspirational piece because she's a sure. poet and that's weird and exotic. And she's very stylish and kind of put together and her home is beautiful in a way that, you know, Eva's envious of. Yep. But once she started talking, I just, that was the part that I feel like, I don't know for, I have a, I have a lot of respect for teams and even though they are an ex team, the way that she talked about Albert with a stranger, I, I think is inappropriate. I, that's not something I would do. Um, and then if I were in Eva's position and this was my new team and Albert calls this out in the end, right? He's like, you didn't take care of us. Yep. Yep. And that's, oh gosh, that scene is heartbreaking. Oh, but but so if I think, okay, if I was in Eva's shoes and I hear this woman doing this, as much as I was curious, I don't think I would want to be around it because mm-hmm. I don't want to be a friends with someone who is that disrespectful to their team. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm in a weird place. No, I think that I think that Albert is ends up being the conscience and the moral center that she like helps recenter her. That that's part of what's going on in the 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 character journey f- for Eva. What's really interesting to me is the scene where Catherine Keener says, "I feel like I want, like, like she's been a client, and now she's like, I feel like we should just be friends. Can we just be hang out sometimes as friends?" And is it's either right before, right after she's unprompted given Julia Louis-Dreyfus a book of her poetry, <laughs> which is such a pretentious condescending thing to do, but then says, we should be friends. Let's hang out. And Julia's got the book in her hands. She's like, okay, sure. Like, that sounds fun. Like she's open to the experience. And then she starts talking about the onions in the salsa and, and Julia Dreyfus realizes she's, that she's talking about Albert. And so I think that the right. idea, that the way I read it, the way I read it this time was that Julia Dreyfus is kind of saying yes to be polite. She's been handed this book. She doesn't, it's like, I don't really know poetry. So, you know, but okay, let's be friends. Sure. Let's be friends. Yeah. Oh, and you know, Albert, uh, or, you know, without then, you know, she doesn't give that away. But then the idea is the combination of I've said, yes, <laughs> I've, I've already, I'm already into sure. this a little bit, you know, two, the aspirational thing, you're a client and you need to keep you as a client, like that power dynamic, it never really leaves that relationship. Um, and then three, the fact that would you, not you maybe, but would one want to know the end game of the person that you are starting to date and that the, sure. that the, the draw of that's what the movie's exploring. Should you... No, you should disclose right away. Oh, that sounds like Albert, the person that I'm dating. So we probably shouldn't talk about him anymore. <laughs> I'd love to be your friend, but this is kind of weird, right? You know, like that's the conversation that happens there. And then there's no movie. Um, sure. So uh, uh, but Kath- Catherine Keener has always been really a sort of impenetrable actor for me. I-, I-, I think she's fabulously deployed in so many things. She's really good at the sort of 
casual disregard <laughs> is sort of a yeah. signature thing that she has. And sometimes it can be, sometimes she can be warm, but other times it's very, you know, I think about her in um, uh, it's deployed beautifully in get out. Um, oh yes. I was thinking being John Malkovich. That's another one too. Yeah. Well, she, the, she can, she can play the warmth, but then it can also turn, right? Like I never fully trust Catherine Keener. I was um, just going to say that <laughs> I don't trust her. Now she is in, of Nicole Hall Center's six features, she's in five of them. They go wow. way back. Um, and often has, she often has a more, more central, central role uh, than she does in this one. Um, but Nicole Hall of Center, I think, really knows how to use Catherine Keener <laughs> uh, because Very much so. I, I don't I don't like her. You know, I, I don't think we're meant to like her, um, but I like Catherine Keener for, for sort of being brave enough to be so cruel in a movie of such sweet yeah. people. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I just, I don't know. I feel like she would have an answer. She would find a way to defend all of the things that we would critique her on. You know, I, I don't totally. know. I think, and it's interesting then when they're, they're on that hike and, and <laughs> Eva is just asking question after question, like it's so awkward and difficult. And these two fans come up and she's just Oh, dismissive and pretentious. Totally. That it just, you know, it's that when people show you who they are, believe them kind of thing. And I don't know, you're, you're right. We need, we need Eva to be curious enough to stay quiet mm -hmm. in order to have a movie. Mm -hmm. I guess if I were her friend, if I were her Tony Collette, I would say, you know, the end game, they got divorced. Right. Right. Clearly this woman never liked him. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know what else she needs to know. Um, but I get it. And I love this movie. This gets to one of the other things that I uh, take issue with the movie a little bit, which is that I Tell have me. a hard time imagining what Catherine Keener and James Gandolfini saw in one another ever. Now I understand that relationships yes. go, go, go wrong. And this sounds in some way seems, you know, I mean, she, but she is insufferable and he's so not. And, and I know, I know relationships of people who are like that, who, 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 for whom that works to one degree or another, where, where one's insufferable and the other sort of takes care of everything. Um, but, but I, it's hard for me to picture their courting days, you know, yeah. their salad days, given what we are presented with them here. So I always have a little trouble reverse engineering the movie in that sense. Um, what did you think about that? No, I, I agree. Um, again, it, it, it works beautifully as the mechanism here. And I would believe that they dated. I would believe mm -hmm. that, you know, various things, but yeah, the way that she talks about him and talks about their relationship the whole time. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand them getting married and, and, and having a kid. Yeah. Um, and staying and married the, the, as long the, as they the, seem to have. Yes. And then the, the daughter is, seems so kind of on her mother's side mm -hmm. or in her mother's orbit that that was, and that also could, could be somewhat developmental that like, you know, at, at that age right. that maybe she and Albert did not, the daughter did not have a lot in common or 
or what have you, or she had been right. influenced, whatever. But I, um, yes, I, I agree with you that that was, that's a harder, that's a crunchier bite to chew. Mm-hmm. Um, be, before we come, we come to the close of this, I want to say a couple things about Nicole Hall of Center, um, because not only is she directed these movies, but as I said, she's done a lot of, a lot of TV work. Um, most notably for me, um, she directed, do, do you remember the, um, segment, the Amy Schumer segment that was last fuckable day? Do you I remember do. that one? I do she, remember that. She, direct, yes. she directed that. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And yeah. had all these amazing women in it. Totally. Totally. Um, and then, uh, you know, she did some parks and rec, um, and she did the pilot episode of Mrs. Fletcher. Did you ever watch Mrs. Fletcher with Catherine Hahn on HBO? I did because I love Catherine Hahn. Me too. Yeah. And that was, it, it, it was meant to be a short series, correct? Yeah. Like it's mm-hmm. not going to continue. It's, it's just, it is what I, it is. I think that's what it, um, I think it was just that one season. Yeah. I, I loved Mrs. Fletcher. I, Me too. I mean, I we we I think we could have and we should have a very special episode of the career of Katherine Hahn and uh-huh. and how she's finally getting the respect that she has deserved for so long. And totally. I felt like Mrs. Fletcher is not a big part of that of like because I think she sort of got there before that. Totally. But um, but what a great showcase what a great role and thank you showcase of her (laughs) talents and abilities and yeah i thought i thought it was very good so so and also i can see that right that's similar yeah yeah, totally like a kid going off to college yeah totally and and minute you know observational behavioral which then sets the you know the director of a of the pilot of any or the first episode of any series sets the visual template the the acting, I mean, all that stuff gets set up with that. All the design of the show is made in that first episode. So then everybody who comes after follows that that mold, which is part of why I think that I enjoyed that show so much because it was a Nicole Hall Center. Then as a writer, in addition to her own movie, she's written, she's like script doctored a bunch of things. She, she did some work on um, Black Widow, <laughs> um, oh, okay. uh, un- uncredited. Um, but then uh, she wrote, um, uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Uh, yes, I, which I have not seen, but I heard so many people talking about yeah. and so many people um, praising. And when I clicked on her IMDb to see what had happened since 2013, it immediately made so much sense to me. Yeah. Like, oh, of course. Totally. That's in and, line. Yeah. And we've, we've already done one Mariel Heller movie, but we will for sure have to get to that one at some point. Um, and then she 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 is the third credited screenwriter on The Last Duel, um, which is the Ridley Scott movie coming out with uh, that was also written by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, who star as like medieval knights with uh, Adam Driver. Uh, and it looks like loony, loony, loony buns. And I don't know how she ended up working on this and Jodie Comer's in in it too. If you've not seen the trailer for the last duel for the haircuts alone, you have to tonight watch the trailer. I'm going to do it as soon as we wrap here. I will. That sounds like exactly what I need. And then text me your thoughts. Um, So anyway, I'm, I'm always a fan of, of seeing what Nicole Hall center does Next, she's in that like Lisa Chilodenko model of uh, the um, uh, the kids are all right, like that whole kind of uh, um, you know New York indie uh, 
vibe that I um, I dig. I dig. So uh, anyway, I'm I'm excited to, excited to finally get to a Nicole Hall of Center movie. Yeah, me too. I'm so glad it's this one. Again, folks, if you haven't seen it, please watch it. Please buy it. I feel like this is like those really good books that you love and you want to share with other people. That's how I feel about this. When I describe totally. it, it's hard for it to come across as as good as it is. And in fact, I watched it with a much younger human. Cause I was, and I, I have a very good friend who's more than a decade younger than me, um, who is visiting and I so had 12. to watch it again. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and so I, I had to watch this movie again. So I said, this is what I'm watching. Watch it with me or don't. Um, and she loved it. Good. And, and, and we had a lot of the same kind of reactions. We were cringing at the same parts. We were laughing, we were tearing up. Um, and so that was lovely for me to see because this does hit me differently now than it did before. But anyway, uh, get this movie, show it to people. I just, I think it's, I think it's so lovely. And it, tell me, I, I want to say this correctly. It was James Gandolfini's final starring role, final completed starring role, or how do we how do we phrase that? You know, there's always the um, argument about what's is it the last thing they shot? Is it the last thing that was released? You know, there was a terrible, not terrible, there was a not good crime movie that came out after this that he has a, a supporting role in, and then he was he was you know. Um, uh, uh, so yeah, I, I consider this to be his last performance because I like it so much and it's so central to the movie and feels like such a um a window into the kinds of roles that might have come after. Yeah. Um and so uh it's I think that I think it's sad that this is kind of his last uh movie. It's just a year after he was um uh Leon Panetta in Zero Dark Thirty. <laughs> Which we which we talked about too, which is a, which trades more on the kind of, you know, um, expected uh, Gandolfini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this this sort of, and he didn't think he could. When when the Hall of Center approached him about this movie, he's like, "I can't do that. That doesn't. I don't do this. I can't do this kind of thing." She's like, "Sure, you can." Um, and yeah, and you know, proved him wrong. So here, here's to Absolutely. here's to James. Here's to James. Um, which. Brings me, if you will, to our game. Yay! As you have said many times, Julia is a national treasure. Yes. I think there are a lot of people out there that would argue that James Gandolfini mm. was also a national treasure. I mean, the... The legacy of The Sopranos as as a television program, as a, like an archetype, as a um, quintessentially American, even though there is his uh, heritage cultures mm-hmm. uh, throughout it. But, you know, I mean, it's that American yeah, mob absolutely. thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, so. With that in mind, this game is called National Treasures. <laughs> So I'm going to take things that happen in the uh, National Treasures 
film franchise. (laughs) Okay. Either on or off screen. Okay. Okay. And you're going to tell me if you had to do this thing. So this is not one of them, but let's say if you had to steal the Declaration of Independence, would you want Julia or James and why? And I will award points. You don't have to see the movies to play. I think that I would say I would want James Gandolfini mm-hmm. from this movie, right? We're talking about their characters from this, this movie or their, or them as actors. I was going with them as actors, okay. but I'm okay. happy to play it either way. This is just the example round. Okay. Okay. I would, I would still say James Gandolfini because I feel like he can bluster his way through a thing. And <laughs> Julia Louis-Dreyfus Dreyfus is, um, I, what I imagine, I cannot get the sort of beat micro expression out of my head and the idea that she would be frozen in front of the guard and James Gandolfini would just like pause with that kind of bulldog look and then bluff his way on to whatever was next. So I guess I want him That's helping great me steal point. the Dark of Independence. Okay. So that was just our example. Okay. Okay. Right. That what that wasn't one of them. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to set the scene to make sure we were both in the Nicolas Cage movie, our, our, you know, founding. Um, <laughs> yes. The godfather of, are, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. The godfather of the cage club. Of the network. Podcast network. Yeah. So it just feels appropriate and ties back in. Absolutely. So, if you were lobbying for access to um, priceless historical documents and antiques if you were if you were in the office trying to get access from the curator who would you want with you no question julia louis dreyfus um she would she would be able to talk her way into anything through anyone and could charm or castigate or bully or whatever i mean she she has so much at her disposal i think she and would just not give up and i feel like james gandafini might at some point like give up hit with enough uh you know resistance or go too far or go too far right let's throw somebody through a window or something yeah i think there's a nuance there um so i i hear you i i i can i can roll with that if you had to kidnap the president in order to keep him safe this is National Treasure 2. Sure. Who would you ask to help you? Um, I think at that point I'm going to need Gandolfini's um, size. I'm going to need his strength. Um, I think yeah. that the the waifishness of Julia Louis-Dreyfus, however, however uh, you know, good her verbal skills were, I would think I need some, some muscle. So I'm going to go with James. Sure. I hear that. Um, I, I went a different way. Uh, and because of Veep, because she has had access Ooh. to this president in particular. So yes. if folks are listening outside of 2020 to 2024, if, we, if, we, if we're in a non-Biden year, 2028, right. wink, wink, um, yeah. it could be different. <laughs> but, but for the present, for the Biden of it all, um, you know, they've done bits together. Done bits. So yeah, I, yeah. I feel yeah. like she, she would be my entree to that. Great point. It might it might not even have to be a kidnapping. Then it could just be a um, come come do a bit with us, and then yeah, a, a lunch that went long. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, if you had to um, go to great lengths, both you know, physical, financial, emotional, what have you, to clear your family name, also National Treasure 2, who would you want as your sidekick? Oh, okay. Julie Louis-Dreyfus, because she's got that Seinfeld money. <laughs> and she's funny. I'd want, I mean, he's funny too, but she's funny. So I would, yeah. I would take her with me. What about you? I think that's a good answer. I think that's a good answer. Um, I think... I think I, you know, because I'm persnickety, I would need some more information. And again, it's kind of the question of muscle and intimidation versus charm. Not to say he's not charming. Right. Um, but I think she's effortlessly charming mm-hmm. and he's intentionally charming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how about this one? Who would you take out on a karaoke night, which famously Nicolas Cage and Diane Kruger did to get that chemistry for National Treasure 1. <laughs> You've gone deep on National Treasure trivia. That's amazing. Gosh, karaoke night? Oh. I, you know, okay, I'm tempted to say Julia Louis-Dreyfus because how fun would that be? But I'm so curious so to fun. see what James Gandolfini would be like out at karaoke. I'm going to go that way. I think that's, I think that's a great move. I mean, ideally both would be outstanding, yeah. right? Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious of the vibe he would bring to like a serious karaoke marathon. I wonder what his karaoke then, jam was, you know, like what's his, what's right? his yes. signature song? I, I mean, I feel like it would be a Sinatra, but that's just because of <laughs> who I, I sort of perceive him as yeah. having not watched any of Sopranos. He talks I'd love to see him rock the a Barbie moon. girl. all right and then finally um one after your own heart if you had eight writers working on a script and needed a ninth as they did in nash for preparing for national treasure rumored who would you choose oh man gosh I mean, this is where it's because I would start to say, well, it depends on what the script needs. Like, does it need to be beaten into shape or does it need to have the, the comedic the touch? Like, what's the, what are the needs here in the room? Um, boy, I guess what I would say is Julia Louis Dreyfus's facility with improv would go a long way. So I guess I'm going to go that way, but it's a neck and neck for me. What about you? That That's a great choice. I, I wasn't sure on, on that one because I'm, I don't have a strong writer's room vibe. I think, uh, in a way, in the way that you do, my, my writing is very isolated. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I could go either way. I think either would be fantastic collaborators and I think you're right. There's a the improv and kind of the the community spirit in 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 her comedy. I think would could serve folks well, especially if it was a National Treasure movie, like if it right. was that script. Right. Right. So. Right. I I mean I think no one can argue you won the game. I hope no one can argue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Folks, please uh, uh, get in touch with us on Twitter and tell us what we were wrong about. Did we pick uh, the wrong national treasure uh, in this conversation? And and tell us who who you would choose and why. Please, please reach out. We want to hear from you. (laughs) 
I keep getting all these notifications so on, our, on our on our Twitter, and it's just like you missed this tweet from the Criterion Collection. You missed this tweet from Women in Film, which is like great. I'd like to see those too, but I always think it's thirteen people have you know mentioned us, and no, nobody has. Nobody has. <laughs> if you really want to make us happy, go buy some merch. Too public. Hey, amen. We've got some cute merch. <laughs> we do. We do. Because we're cute. <laughs> Thanks for the game. That was awesome. Anytime. All right. Now is the point in our show where we decide if this movie is progressive or regressive and give our closing thoughts. Is enough said a step forward or a step back for fearless women in front of and behind the camera? Iceland, what say you? I say it is a step forward with a stumble. Yeah, because that's that's how much the um, housekeeper storyline bothered me is that I still stepped forward, but it wasn't a clean landing, um, <laughs> if you will. I think the the way that this movie celebrates middle age in quotes and and new beginnings at different ages, you know, we see these um, young women starting out in their adult kind of more independent lives mm-hmm. or about to anyway. And we see these parents also having to do this, uh, a parallel thing to move forward, you know, without their kids at home and forging new relationships, both friendships and romantic and finding out new things. You know, when Julia talks about some of the, some of the aspects of their middle-aged romance that are sexy to her in a way that she didn't expect. I, Uh I love that. I love, and I, and I've been lucky to have women who are older than me in my life in many different eras telling me how much better it gets. And so I just love that this movie is contributing to that. It involves so many super talented, um, female actors, as well as ladies behind the scene, behind the scenes. And so, yes, a step forward, if only it could have been a cleaner step. How about you? 100% agree. Nicole Holson has been making movies and TV for over 25 years now. Um, and uh, that is a long time for anybody to, to be as good as she is and to be able to do it. Um, but especially as we've talked about time and time again in the show for women. And so to be telling stories by about and uh, by and about women, um, I think in particular, the, the, the more times it can be done with this level of nuance um, and and, you know, beauty and humor and wit um, stumbles, stumbles aside. Um, I think that that's a great thing. So let's 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 have more Nicole Hall of Center projects. I'm I'm ready to consume. Isaac, speaking of consuming, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what are we going to talk about next? Next month, coming to you September 28th, we will be talking about Emma, the 2020 version. That's right. And they write this movie with Emma and then a period. I don't know. It's just the way so we they... are watching Emma. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, A a, a movie that I recently introduced my seven and a half year old daughter to and she loves. So um, I'm I'm I've seen it with even more fresh eyes. uh, And I'm sure she'll watch it again with me before uh, September. So take a look at Emma. 
before September 28th and then come back and, uh, and chat with us. Excellent. Speaking of chatting with us, Tobin, where can folks find you these days? They can actually say hello on Twitter at the, uh, <laughs> the back. at the containers underscore pod. Um, I do occasionally hop on and check uh, Tobin Angleton, at Tobin Angleton, all one word. I'm not there near as, as often anymore because I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to, which is not a way to grow a podcast, but I am trying to limit my uh, uh, digital uh, time, my screen time a little bit. Uh, but anyway, but if you reach out to me, I will see it sooner or later. <laughs> Isla, uh, what about you? Where can people find you and do you want to be found? Sure. Um, so uh, as always at Sassy Nerd MT, I'm there. I'm probably talking about the deep dive like I did today because... I'm a huge fan and speaking of aspirations, I just, I just want to be friends with those ladies. Um, I'm also probably talking about ruined because I want to be friends with those ladies too. I'm just scrolling for cool friends. Um, and I have successfully stacked my Twitter so that at least half of what I see is cute dog stuff. Ooh, nicely curated. So that's what I'll be doing. Uh, and I would love to hear from folks. You can find us, as Tobin mentioned, on Twitter at contenders underscore pod or on Patreon at thecontenderspod.com. A special thanks to our members who've joined at the marquee level or above, Sean Flynn and Jeff Addington. Yay! Also, don't forget to go buy merch at the T Public store. Check out the uh, Contenders podcast uh, page there. And we here at the Contenders are proud members of the Cage Club Podcast Network. You can explore all their great shows at cageclub.me. And you can keep tabs on all the Cage Club happenings on Twitter at Cage Club Pod. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Tobin Addington. I'm Iceland Addington. And we'll see you next time on the Contenders. Um, you can find us as Tobin mentioned, or I could just not worry about it. I'm just going to move around to the other side. Okay. Doesn't bother me if it doesn't bother you. Doesn't bother me. Doesn't bother me. It'll just be like I'm in witness protection. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) The silhouette. Can you hold your mic away? It's rubbing on your clothes. Is that better? To bring Perfect. brings us Perfect. to our game. Perfect.